Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is our episode for March 2020, where after several weeks of a new series of Doctor Who, this is our chance, having done hot take after hot take, to look back at the whole of Series 12 and take a little bit more of an in-depth look at it, how it looks from a distance, and just really immerse ourselves in this at the end of the season, which I'm looking forward to. Rob, how are you? Dave, very well, and, and totally agree with you there. I mean, here we are at the end of March. Uh, the, the, the new season, I use new in quotation marks, is over, and we've had time to sit down and, and think about it. Uh, the listeners have sort of had a teaser on your thoughts on the last two episodes through the hot takes when you were away, but... We haven't heard your full thoughts, so I'm actually quite keen. As always, we, we haven't pre-discussed this. I'm, I'm quite keen to hear your deeper thoughts today. Yeah, no, thanks. I'm very keen to talk about them. I was itching to do so when I was away, but thank you publicly to Stephen for filling in the season, doing such a great job keeping things ticking over for those episodes. But I also just want to say, Rob, right at the top of the episode, thank you to all of those people on social media who have taken the time to send us some really lovely, nice messages, feedback, interesting thoughts. It's actually been a really great experience for us, and I'm really, really just so chuffed at some of the things people have written about us. Thank you, guys. Yeah, look, this has been... I mean, every every year when we've done the hot takes, we always seem to get this surge in, in people listening, and I, I do hope many of them stick around for the monthly shows. <laughs> um, but it did correlate this time around with Apple Podcasts and our chart positions going quite crazy at times. Now, these charts, you know, it's not like the old days of the pop charts where the chart would be there for a week and you were number one for a week or number 10 for that week. The charts move up and down all the time. But, you know, at times, Dave, we got as high as number six in the Great Britain TV reviews category on Apple Podcasts, which I thought was pretty mind-blowing, actually. Yeah, and for the, for the Great Britain market as well, which has got so many great podcasts on so many shows, that's a, yeah, something to be... Yeah, I'm quite pleased about it, I'll be honest. Indeed, indeed. And speaking of Apple Podcasts, we always do those up front if anyone's reviewed us there. So I want to do this one quickly from Brain Not Dead Yet, <laughs> who is from Great Britain. The title is Late to the Game Five Stars. Guys, I listened to your 17th of June episode, What Doctor Who Did Next, The Doctor Who Show Presents Virgin NAs and MAs. I know I'm late to the game, but better late than never, right? I really enjoyed it, fellas. It was a pleasure to hear it, and it made me want to go and buy all the books. But, disaster struck, I went on eBay and saw how much they are going for, and I suddenly realised I can't buy a complete set because I don't have a billion zillion pounds. Then this got me thinking, why would the guys of the Doctor Who show get me all excited, only to know that it would end in bitter, eternal disappointment? Why would you do that, guys? Why? Why, guys? Why would you do that to me? Why? <laughs> Are you the master in disguise? Are you mind-controlling me? Do I need to go and find Joe Grant to help me? Or could we use the master's tissue compression eliminator to shrink the prices on eBay? Seriously, though, I really enjoyed your work. Thank you. Keep it up. And if anyone reading this would just like to give me the books as a present, that would be great. And that was from Brain Not Dead Yet. Well, I'm glad he's inspired to go and read those virgin books. But yes, some of them are quite pricey. Uh, all I can say is that a number of them are available online in various different forms as PDFs and the like. Or you can do what a lot of people do and just sort of every now and then buy one and it takes a bit longer but you'll eventually get there 
Yeah, and I, I've got no problem with the PDF route. I mean, I, I don't like piracy, you know, I'll say that up front. But when something's been out of print for a long, long time and isn't coming back into print probably ever because of the way those licenses were with Virgin, uh, yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Mm. We have a lot to talk about this month, Rob, so we'll crack in and we'll start with the news, a couple of items. I'll go first. Okay. And the first... It almost feels like it's not a news item because it's so expected, but it seems almost certainly confirmed that Bradley Walsh and Tosin Cole will be leaving the show at the end of the Christmas New Year special, whatever it is that we're getting. Um, what what is it? Resolution, not resolution of the Dal- something. Revolution. revolution, revolution of the Daleks. Yes, Thank you. Become yes. communists. They- <laughs> <laughs> God, a Bernie Sanders Dalek. What a terrifying yes. thought. Yes. <laughs> um, Revolution of the Daleks. Yes, so they're apparently leaving in that. That, I don't think, is a surprise to anybody. What is maybe a bit of a surprise is that Mandeep Gill apparently has signed on along with Jodie Whittaker, as previously announced. Yes, and you know, if you if you roll back, listeners, to the hot take for that final episode, I said, uh, you know, they're pumping Mandeep's tyres a lot in this episode. They've, they've sat Bradley Walsh down and he's sitting there saying, Yaz, you are amazing. Yaz, you are just fantastic. And, oh, Yaz, you, you, you do so much. And it was this really unearned, weird sort of thing to do. And then later in the episode, it would be, who will go through this boundary first? And Yaz just marches through. And I'm like, oh, they're pumping her up so much. I bet she's the the sole companion next series and it looks like that might be true yeah now whether she's the sole companion or whether there's going to be another one coming in which i must admit i hope is the case um we don't know but it certainly looks as though that transitions in place we know that tosin cole's got some work in the u.s that's going to take him over there for a large period bradley walsh is a very in-demand actor at the moment and he's made the comment many regulars have that the pacing and and the filming schedule of who is just too much to do for too long. Mm. Uh, I just, I'm a little disappointed though because, frankly, if any of them were going to stay, Yaz would be third on my list out of three. Yeah, uh, look, I think it's that way for many people simply because of the way she was written, and you know, people have really warmed to Bradley Walsh far more than they've warmed to Mandeep Gill. With no disrespect to Mandeep Gill at all, she seems like quite a lovely person when you see her in the uh, the videos they make, you know, uh, her and Jody messing about and stuff. It's like, oh, she's she seems like a great person, just not a very interesting character, though. I'm afraid. No, but we'll talk about more of that and how they've evolved over season twelve as we get on. Uh, we have another piece of news about something that's not happening, Rob. <laughs> well, as far as we know, not happening. And that's uh, Joe Williams saying that she is not the next Doctor. She was talking to Doctor Who magazine and, and basically explained how her friends were like, oh, you're the new Doctor. And she's like, well, I'm not the new Doctor, I'm a Doctor. And, you know, just go and watch the episode. And, and the son actually picked up on this to make it a big, you know, Joe Martin is not the next Doctor sort of storyline. And I think that's probably going to be the way it is. It does seem, and again, maybe this will get teased out later in the episode when we talk about what happened in the series too, she does seem to be a pre-Hartnell Doctor, although it's problematic that she has a police box. But anyway, we might get to that later. Uh, For now, she is not the next Doctor, people. (laughs) Apparently not. Apparently not. So, look, I guess that's something that's going to occupy us as fans for the next, really, the next nine months is how is the show going to look at the end of Revolution of the Daleks? We know for a fact that the 13th Doctor, Jodie Whittaker, will be in the next series. 
we now know almost for a fact, and I don't think I've seen an official BBC statement, that Yaz will be with her. Is it just the two of them? Is somebody else coming in? There's rumours about John Barrowman. Uh, I think they're just rumours, but hey, that could be interesting. Yeah, well, when I said Soul Companion, I, I, I meant she'd be the, the last one standing out of yes. these three and would certainly kick off the new series, perhaps solo with Jodie. Uh, Captain Jack could be interesting because he could sort of come in and out and maybe do like three or four episodes of the series and then disappear again, you know, like, well, like he did with Eccleston. He wasn't in all of Eccleston's first series. Yeah, so look, I'm interested to see what they do with Yaz. I hope that there's some fresh blood and some fresh talent in the TARDIS team as well. But I guess that's... We're about to hit that nine months of sort of silly season period where we're going to get all these rumours and speculations and none of them will actually be true. Oh, yeah, it'll be a good nine, ten months before we start to really get into the meat and, you know, like a year and a half before we actually see it on television. So it's, yeah, there's <laughs> there's a long road ahead, Dave. There is. Uh We'll move on then to our usual mini-topics before we get into our main topic, as we do on our monthly episodes. Mm. And the first one is, I've been overseas. You have, <laughs> and I've been lucky enough, because I know you on Facebook and such, to have seen many of your photos from, from the trip. But for people, uh, obviously, who aren't privy to that, where, where have you been, Dave? Uh, so, look, I went over to the United States. I spent some time in California. I did Vegas for the first time. I did Disneyland for the first time, and I did go to... Uh, Star Wars uh, Galaxy's Edge which was let's face it the only reason I went to Disneyland (laughs) (laughs) and and I have to say that is as cool as you expect it to be that is a very lovingly done uh, spare no expense tribute to Star Wars that Galaxy's Edge how immersive is it? uh, incredibly so right so so you, you, you walk in and most of the footpaths and the and the sort of the the streets, if you like, are completely done in the architectural style of somewhere like Tatooine. So it is like walking around Moss Eisley. Um, the bars are sort of done in the Moss Eisley sort of style. Uh, you get actual like spaceships. So Kylo Ren's personal shuttle is just sitting there. There's a full-size Millennium Falcon in the middle of the square. You know, R2D2 is wandering around. Uh, Chewbacca is wandering around. So it is very, very immersive. Um, and there's there's all sorts of things, particularly for kids, you know, like, you know, build your own droids and there's lots of shops, as you'd imagine, and a number of rides. Um, so there's the Smuggler's Run, where basically you're sitting in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and it's, you know, like a flight simulator. So, you know, it sort of jerks up and down and things flow on the screen in front of you. Obviously, the, the Big Rebellion ride, which, you know, if, I, I logged on to my app at four past eight when I got through the gates and... Still had a six-hour wait for that, and Ooh. if you if you hadn't logged on by ten past eight, you didn't get a slot that day. Uh, that's that's how intense that was. But that is very very cool. And there's also a sort of a touristy thing uh, where you basically sit in a, about thirty of you in again a large flight simulator type, type thing and just sort of go for a touristy ride around the galaxy and see different ships fly past and get jerked around and up and down and side to side and you know all, all, all your typical sort of sort of ride stuff so yeah it is it is very immersive and very very lovingly done and it is interesting that most of the characters in those uh, productions are ones that clearly they didn't need the actor's permission to to use them so you know there's a lot of Chewbacca because you don't have to pay Peter Mayhew just to use Chewbacca's image mm. um, Anthony Daniels uh, is voiced a lot but Anthony Daniels will kind of you know do anything yes. um, you know he's, he's that sort of guy you know you say Anthony come and do this and he'll go do that uh, 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 Lando Carusian though actually had a big part which was interesting I thought 
Oh, wow. Okay. Very cool. Um, but then there's others like Voices, which it's like, that is clearly a Han Solo-style voice, but it's not actually Han Solo. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you were in Galaxy's Edge itself, did you have the... Uh, did you want to be a bit of a wag and go up to Kylo Ren and say, hey, that's your dad's spaceship over there. <laughs> What's going on there? Uh, no, I, I kind of... <laughs> I think like a lot of Disneyland, it's one of those things where you go at sort of an, as an adult and you can smile wryly and enjoy it and enjoy some of the rides, but it's about the kids and just watching the kids have fun. Mm. And so there'll be stuff like there was a young kid sort of walking around dressed in a Stormtrooper's costume. And like, I'm talking like six, seven years old. Yeah. And a bunch of Stormtroopers came up and just started chatting to him like, you know, are you with us? You know, what sort of information have you got for us? Or you know, <laughs> they'll go up to another kid who's, you know, dressed as a Jedi and like, we're keeping an eye on you, son. You know, you know we're going to be watch out for you. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that as an adult, you, you don't want to be part of. You just want to sit there and go, this must be so much fun and mm. such a big deal for the kids involved. And so, yeah, it, it is it is thoroughly immersive and it is so well done by people who clearly love Star Wars. Yeah. Now, from the US, of course, you went somewhere very special. Yes, I went off to Mexico City, uh, including the old temples of the Aztecs. Wow. Which was just phenomenal. Now, I, I climbed both the Temple of the Sun and the Temple of the Moon. Uh, the Temple of the Sun was quite an effort, I have to say. It was, you know, four tiers up, big, big concrete, well, not concrete, but big stone steps. Mm-hmm. And um, you're 7,000 feet above sea level. So you, you do a tier and then you stop and have to suck in oxygen to, to <laughs> sort of get up. And look, that that is an amazing experience. The, the way that this area is preserved. And I was there with a personal guide who talked me through how it's set up and why it's set up and how the placement of different pyramids reflects each full moon and uh, all this sort of wonderful sort of stuff. Um, the way that the city or, or, or the temples are set up so that if you're a priest on the top of the Temple of the Sun and you're shouting down to the masses, the echoes around it actually do carry your voice such that the masses could hear you. Um, it's it's really quite amazing in and of itself. Yeah. But obviously being a fan of the Hartnell Historicals, including particularly the Aztecs, there was a whole extra layer of awesomeness on top of that as well. Yeah, that that is fantastic. Did they show you where the sacrifices happened? They did, they did. Oh. Uh, and and indeed, there was um, stuff in the museum, you know, um, where they've dug up, you know, stuff from sacrifices, you know, bodies and skulls and and, and some quite gruesome but fascinating stuff. Mm. A- again, it's sort of interesting where the tour guide sort of giving you this information and you're sort of nodding and going, yeah, I saw that on the Aztecs. Yep, I know that. <laughs> They, they're not selling it in the uh, gift shop, are they? The DVD? Sadly not, sadly Ugh. not. But uh, no, look, that is that is very cool. I think I worked out, I've now been to something like 8 out of 11 of the settings for the 60s historicals. That's very cool. So um, a couple to go. As I say, I'm not sure when I'm going to get Marco Polo. Yeah. Uh, at the, at the moment, I wouldn't go there. No, no, it's even harder at the moment, absolutely. Uh, and Tombstone from the Gunfighters is another one that is just a long way from anywhere and you really have to invest sort of a day each way to drive there and back if you want to do Tombstone so I will get there but um, that's not going to be soon I don't think that's that's going to be a holdout as well I think yeah I think Tombstone would be a lot of fun though yeah and obviously Turkey uh, the, the presumed site of the Mythmakers is a tougher one to get to as well 
Yeah, that's tricky at the moment. There's God, there's a lot of tricky places to go to at the moment. I, I'd like to go to Iran. You know, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Oh, I would love to go to Iran, but yeah, that is a very problematic place to go to. Egypt, yeah. Egypt is a place I'd definitely like to go to, but again, problematic. Yeah, well, that's somewhere I grew up, you know, reading my archaeology books and think, oh, I'll go to Egypt one day. And for a lot of my younger life, it would have been very possible. But now that I've got the actual money and time to do it, it's, uh, no, I wouldn't be doing it now. Mm, no, that is so true. But yeah, look, a very enjoyable trip. I caught up with a lot of friends, you know, in New York and DC as well. So um, it was it was good. And I'm glad to be back, though. Good to have you back, Dave. Now, next up for mini topics, I do want to talk ratings, and I guess you haven't had a crack at this at all. I spoke to um, to Doc Hume about it when he co-hosted the show, and we may have even mentioned it once or twice with Stephen. I can't recall on those episodes. But Dave, the 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 ratings. I mean, the haters are out there. They are out there from day one, saying, "Oh, look, the show's crashing." Even when it had consolidateds of like you know six point seven million, they were they were coming up with reasons why the show's crashing. But I've got to say that as it as it went on, yeah. Yes, the audience dropped. And again, yes, we know that happens in series. But by the end, the consolidated figures for the finale were only 4.55 million. It is pretty low. I'm not being a panic merchant, though, but I just want to say it is low. Yeah, there are a couple of positives and a couple of negatives that came with the show. The positives are definitely that in terms of its position on the charts, in terms of how it's doing as one of the more watched shows of the day and the week, it is definitely still a well-watched show. And if you then sort of factor in kind of like anti-inflation for the fact that this is a show in its 12th series and its 15th year, it's actually holding up phenomenally well. I mean, very few shows other than soap operas and, and cop shows where you could just recycle and churn over the cast, you know, on a regular basis, uh, which I guess Doctor Who can do as well. You know, other than those, you just don't get 12 series of a TV show. So it, it is holding up very well. The negatives are that basically the Jodie Whittaker bounce from last season has effectively gone. I think the average ratings for this season have ended up being basically the same as for Capaldi's last season, uh, which was way down on Jodie's first season. And the thing that really shocked and disappointed me was I didn't see any bounce for the series finale, which I thought was probably the most disappointing thing of the whole saga. Yeah, especially when the uh, the penultimate episode was so good and interesting and I thought might have drawn some people in. But I'll just rewind a moment because I was talking to friend of the show, Matt Barber, about this on Facebook. And I was making the comment there that, yes, Jodie's first series had these higher figures, but I think they were also skewed massively by that first episode, which consolidated was, what, like 11 or 12 million mm. or something. And I said, you know, if you take that away, it starts to plummet quite a bit and if you take away the next episode or two and then look at the rest of the series it's it's kind of in this territory as well so i think the audience did drop off in her first series to be honest um and it only stands up in in terms of the stats because it had such a a colossal first episode and then some decent uh, early episodes yeah it's really interesting to sort of dig down and work out what those mean. One of the conversations I had with some friends in DC who are quite involved in tech uh, liberalism and, and, and that sort of thing, and we were kind of talking about the, the, the lifestyle changes that tech have made in our lifetime. And one that I highlighted was, I can remember the days when 
TV was appointment viewing and it was just accepted in your mind that if you missed a show going out at a particular time slot, you would probably never see that show again in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe there'll be a repeat. Maybe you could have recorded on VHS if it was, you know, really worth it and you could make the time of work, which was always a problem. But, you know, generally speaking, if you didn't see episode eight of Doctor Who tonight, well, I guess I'm not seeing episode eight of Doctor Who. Oh, well. Whereas now that's completely not a thing. You can watch it on iPlayer. You can watch it on DVD or Blu-ray. You can go and get it on iTunes. Like, like there'll be so many ways in which you can go and see it, including illegal ones. You know, we don't advocate that, but that is a reality as well. There are illegal ways in which you can go and find a show that you've missed. So absolutely, ratings don't mean quite as much as they used to. And the thing that interests me is, okay, only 5 million people watch this episode uh, on this occasion but how many will come back to it another time and how many like like we sort of assume that as ratings drop off it's the same people still watching but others are dropping off whereas the truth is there's probably a large number of people who oh I can watch that one live and I'll get to the other one later and, and it, it, it's not 5 million people it's probably 7, 8, 9 million people but they're not all watching at the same time um, and a number of them I think particularly watched the first couple of episodes live and they're like, I'm really enjoying this. And the next time I get a chance to go and binge something, I'll binge Doctor Who. And come the UK summer, they're going to sit down and watch the whole season from start to finish. I know I do that with a lot of shows. Yeah, yeah, look, all all very good points. I guess what they've got their eye on, though, in these times where, you know, the ratings don't mean as much as we're saying, is the AI. And, you know, I've heard people in the UK say if it drops below 80, that's not good. Uh, it dropped below 80 uh, four times in this past series out of 10 episodes. So almost 50% of the episodes were below 80. Yeah, and, and I think when we did our talk about comparing the RTD era to the Moffat era, and we had all the ratings and the AIs in front of us, we talked about how I think there were only three occasions in those those two eras combined where it dropped below 80. And that, mm. they're all episodes where you can sort of sit there and go, yeah, I get this. So that's interesting. Rob, do you want to take us just through, without going on too long, about which episodes they were and, I guess, ask ourselves the question, do we do we get why? Yeah, absolutely. So the four episodes are Orphan 55, Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror, Praxius, and Can You Hear Me? Two of them make perfect sense to me. Two of them I'm a little bit surprised by. What about you, Rob? Uh, yeah, because I didn't mind Nikola Tesla, to mm, be honest. Um, Orphan 55 was a bit rubbish. Um, but I'd, I'd actually say Praxius and Can You Hear Me both underwhelmed me, so I'm actually cool with three of those four. We said at the time that with both Orphan and Praxius, we felt that the exposition problems overwhelmed the episode. And, and I walked out of Praxius going, I don't know what just happened. Mm. Therefore... I can totally understand that a member of the casual audience would have walked out of both of them and go, what just happened? I'm not sure I like that. Nikola Tesla surprises me. And can you hear me? Look, I know it didn't resonate as well as some episodes for some people, but I thought it was a perfectly fine adventure. So that surprises me as well. Now, while you've been talking, Dave, I've actually had a look at Series 11. Only twice did it drop below 80 and they were for the Saranga Conundrum and, yeah, okay. the, and the Battle of the Cat Walked Across My Keyboard. Okay, yeah. And again, both of those, I sit there and go, they were quite dull episodes, so I get yeah. that somebody would do that. 
Yeah, I, look, look, that's interesting. That's an interesting piece of data, and maybe it's something we'll reflect on when we get to our thoughts about the series. Yeah, and look, I'll, I'll just finish up by saying it looks like, well, for sure, Chris Chibnall is making this third series. I'd think that this might be it for him, him and Whitaker. Uh, they might disappear, and will Doctor Who get rested after that? Piers Wang has been out there, been saying Doctor Who will be with us for some time to come, and I think, well, that's a pretty safe thing to say, Piers, when it's a year and a half until the next series comes out, you know, so you could say that even if you knew it was going to get rested after the next series. Will it get rested, though? I don't know. Certainly, I think a new showrunner's in the wings, and uh, we might know about them probably while the new series is still being made because they'll, they'll have to start spooling up the next series if it is going to continue. Yeah, I think there's no doubt that at the end of the next series there will be a very detailed pause and discussion within the BBC about what is Doctor Who and what do we want. Now, it could be that that discussion ends with keep doing what you're doing. It could be that they say we want a different format, a different number of episodes, a different take on the Doctor, a, a different style, a different time slot or some combination thereof. We don't know, but it would be perfectly acceptable. In fact, it would be bad practice if the BBC didn't stop and do a bit of a stock take about the story and go, you know, do 42-minute episodes work? Do they not work? Does Sunday Mm. evening work? Does it not work? That's a natural conversation for a show to have. Well, and and also, I said I had my last say, but also the BBC, again, um, quite extraordinarily put out another statement after that final episode to sort of, um, I don't know, placate fans who were annoyed that there were so many Doctors now out there and that Hartnell wasn't the first Doctor, etc., etc. They put out a statement on that. Yeah, this is this is ridiculous. The BBC should not be apologising for its dramatic content. All it does is encourage people. All it does is give a face and a name. To, you know, it gives them a place to criticise and it makes them feel as though they're being listened to. Uh, this is just, I think, completely unnecessary and a very poor strategic decision by the BBC to even engage, as they've done several times this series. I think it's just... Uh, uh, I don't know. Is, is it a PR department trying to justify their wages? I don't know, but I think it's a really foolhardy thing to do. Is is it a production team feeling a bit uh, under siege? Look, if it is, they shouldn't. I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous. Twitter is not the world. Social media is not the world. It's not remotely representative of the world. Um, mm-hmm. Look, look to give you a stat, I, I did spend some time in America, um, engaged with some political people that I know over there within, in the primary contests. And one of the fascinating stats was after the Iowa caucuses, where you're talking about a group of people who are members of the Democratic Party are engaged enough to go and spend three hours in a school gymnasium in the middle of winter in Iowa. You know, so so we're talking very, very switched on engaged political activists. Only 22% of them said they got their news from Twitter. Uh, so in the wider world, you can imagine just how small that number is. It is yeah. completely unrepresentative. Uh, you know, how many events and elections and the like do we have where, you know, Twitter's 80% one way and the population goes 55% the other way. Like, guys, if you are a production team and you're stressing because there's some knacker on YouTube having a go at you, well, you're in the wrong job. Yeah. 
Yeah, agree with that. Let's wrap up the uh, short topics, Dave. Yep, look, just very quickly, uh, another thing I did whilst I was travelling overseas was I did reread The Dying Days, the one Paul McGann Virgin New Adventure that finished up the run, and that was such a good, enjoyable read. I absolutely loved it. Uh, it's by Lance Park, and it involves an Ice Warrior invasion of the United Kingdom. Uh, it, it involves the Brigadier um, and Bernie Summerfield working with the Eighth Doctor. It is very, very well done, and some of it just seems a little bit innocent and sweet after sort of what we've had of the, the new series and, and the like, and, and some of it, you know, feels a bit like an RTD episode. And there were some also some wonderful sort of lines in there about the fact that one of the things that the Ice Warriors do in this book is they initially say, we don't care about the rest of the world, we're just invading the UK. Um, mm. Now, we know that that's just a bit of a fallacy, and once they've got the UK, they'll invade the world, but that's what they do. Well, we've got a beef with the UK, we've come in to invade. And there's wonderful wonderful stuff there about the rest of Europe going, well, okay then, we're cool with that, go ahead. Um, or, or, or the Scottish National Party saying, oh, but we're independent of the UK. So, you know, so, so I thought that was all quite funny, but that, that's a really fun book. I do know it's one of the rarer and more expensive ones, so I don't want to uh, let people down as, as per our review earlier, but... I really, really enjoyed The Dying Days. That was really fun. Yeah, and I'll just say two things. One is, I don't think I've ever in my life read a bad book by Lance Parkin. All of his are, are just fantastic. You know, True. even the ones where he's really stretching stretching out and doing something new and imaginative, like The Infinity Doctors, for example. Yeah. Um, just, just a great author. And why he's not involved more with Doctor Who fiction now escapes me maybe maybe that's covered in some interview somewhere or something but i don't know the answer i wish he was the second thing is something i think will come up later in this discussion is doctor who stories that feel young and innocent versus what we're seeing on tv at the moment i might just leave it at that Uh, that's going to come up later fair enough so with that we will move into our main topic which is our could you call it a cold take on on series twelve? I don't know <laughs> what the cold opposite, case, Dave. I don't know what the opposite of a hot take is, but whatever the opposite is, this is it. Uh, look, we've said before when we do our hot takes, literally, we have just watched the episode sometimes as much as ten minutes ago, and we're just giving you our off the top thoughts. We've tried to avoid what others have said. We try to avoid what's happened on social media. We certainly don't know what each other thought. So they are they are very unformed and unplanned. And this is a chance to go back and add in some more thoughts and some more depth here and there, some points we've missed, but also look at the series holistically. And to yeah. open, before we even get into what we sort of thought of the series as a whole, I just want to make the point that this has been a really fascinating series to be part of as a fan on the one hand there's been so much positivity i've really enjoyed being a fan of doctor who in the last 10 11 weeks i've enjoyed the podcast that i've listened to about it i've enjoyed a lot of the interaction about it there's been lots of positivity there's been some really interesting debates uh it's been really fun and positive to watch uh unfortunately of course the haters are still out there and what i've found robin i'm interested in your thoughts on this is that whilst I've really kind of just avoided the haters to the best extent possible, I, I don't go and watch their YouTube videos, I don't add them on Twitter, I have found myself sometimes being very cautious about my opinion when I have a negative opinion on an aspect of the show because I don't want to be in the haters category. 
<laughs> yeah, and look, I, I felt like that last series as well, Dave, to be honest, because I was out there watching the haters' videos on YouTube because I wanted to see what people were saying in their totality. Just as I go out and listen to more podcasts while a new series is on than I normally would, more Doctor Who podcasts, that is, uh, I also, you know, stretch stretch my wings and get out there and see what, what the haters are saying. Quite how crazy can they go? What what are their beefs? You know, and, and some of them are very persuasive because they use facts and they and they speak well and, and you think, ooh, this person's got a point. Oh my God, what am I thinking? But then there are others who are just stone cold crazy. So yeah, it, it runs the gamut out there. And I've forgotten what your question was now as I sort of got wrapped up in myself. I, I, I guess, I guess I'm guess i making the point that you can be critical of an episode or a performance mm-hmm. or, or even a doctor sometimes and not be in the category of a hater, which is just I've tuned in to, to right. actively dislike this show. Let's face it, in some cases they have monetized their hatred, particularly on YouTube. Yes. You know, they, they, they've worked out that they can get a certain audience, therefore they get... YouTube money, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and sometimes I have found that I have softened or been been wary about giving a negative opinion because I just don't want to be part of that toxicity, and mm. and you know maybe I've been a bit too cautious. Well, you know, I I think about myself and and by you by association because you do the show with me. I I look and I think, God, that that episode we panned. Now, if we did that every week, I might start to think, ooh, are people going to think we're haters? But then when we bounce back the next week and say, this episode was fantastic, I'm giving MVP of the week to Chris Chibnall, it was 9 out of 10. I think anyone with, with eyes, or, or ears rather, could, could determine that, no, those guys aren't haters. If they hated the show, they wouldn't be giving Chris Chibnall MVP of the week, which I did once or twice this series, or giving shows 9 out of 10. You know, Then if we go and do it, oh, that was 6 out of 10, I hated that. I think people will, will understand that that's not what we think about the show broadly. So that's where I think our line in the sand is we we just say what we think and we just don't hate, 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 hate every week. Yeah, I totally agree. And and I guess sometimes you're just wary of, I, I think, trolling into that because it's become such a toxic thing in that corner of fandom. You just don't want to be part of it. But look, that, that said, Rob, Series 12, 10 episodes, all come and gone. What's your view of the season look on on face value i think series 12 has the veneer of making a great leap forward from series 11 yet when you scratch the surface like we did on the show i think a lot of the problems of series 11 are still there which is not to say that i didn't think the episodes were better they were we'll probably get to our marks later and whether we've reevaluated any so I'm overall happier with it and do think it's better than series uh, 11, but I don't think it's as good because a lot of issues are still there. That's interesting. I will say right from the start, I have enjoyed the series. I've enjoyed it certainly a lot more than last series. I think it was a lot better than last series. Have I enjoyed it as much as a couple of the RTD ones? No. Uh, have I enjoyed it as much as Peter Capaldi's last series? No. So it's not up there as sort of a top two or three New Who series for me, but it is a series that I have enjoyed. There are no episodes in there that I absolutely loathe, which is a big step up from last series where there were three or four I just thought were complete write-offs, complete waste of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were a couple in there that I was you know, really excited about. But most of all, 
it has been more exciting. Mm-hmm. It's had more monsters. It's yeah. been more fun. And that's a really positive thing. Now, I do think that the reputation of this season is going to be massively overshadowed by the last episode. I think the last episode, whether you like it or dislike it or have issues with it or don't have issues with it or or whatever, the last episode reaches back through the season and will really cloud, influence, skew views of it. Mm-hmm. And I also think that uh, Mr. Exposition has been a very unwelcome visitor for many episodes this season, and that is a problem that needs to be dealt with. Well, this is what I mean about uh, it still having the issues of Series 11 exposition. You know, Chibnall's apparently never heard of Show Don't Tell. Great swathes of each episode of people just standing around explaining the storyline to each other. It, it is mind-blowing that, yeah. that, that he gets away with this. And a close cousin of that is the heavy-handed writing you know, whereas in the past in Doctor Who, you know, because people now on social media, if you notice this, they, they love to say, Doctor Who has always been political. Doctor Who has always tackled these tough issues, as if we never knew that. Mm. Yes, we know, but it's the way it did it is what's important, not the fact that it's doing it. Nowadays, we have the Doctor just about turning to camera and explaining to us why what's going on on screen is, is a bad thing. You know, hey, hey kids, come, come in closer. Plastics, they're not good, are they? No. And it's like, oh my God, just show it. Don't tell it. Again, it's a very close cousin of exposition, this heavy-handed writing he indulges in. And it happened in Series 11. It happened here. So yes, while it was better, we had our Cyberman. We had the Master. We had Gallifrey. We had Jadoon, for God's sake. you know, And that made it feel a bit more comfortable, a bit more adventure and monsters and yay. There were still these fundamental issues there from Series 11. Chris Chibnall, my God, what are you doing? Yeah, agree with all of that, but overall a positive experience yes Uh, so on that given we're about to dive in shall i give you my sort of two minutes each on uh, episodes nine and ten oh yes please so episode nine ascension of the cybermen i look back on this with a very fond regard i thought that it was a good adventure action episode and as I look back on it, what, two, three weeks now since it was broadcast, the things that sit in my memory are the really cool moments. The stuff with that first battle between the Doctor, her companions, and the Cybermen. Um, I still think that those Cyber probes were just laughably badly executed, but that, that, that is less, a, less an issue now than it was two minutes after you watch it when you're still laughing. Uh, I thought that the sense of doom and the impending sense of awfulness pervaded the episode in a really effective way. I thought the Cybermen were very good. The design was very good. Uh, There were real stakes. I was wondering what was going to happen. I thought Koshamas was going to turn out to be a bad guy. And I was like, watch out for that guy. This is going to be a trap. Wow. uh, So that that was really interesting to me. They split off in a really interesting sort of way. Yeah, there were some duff moments. uh, But it all ended with suddenly, yep, the Master's back. And I'm like, wow, we've got the Cybermen. We've got an army. We've got the last vestiges of humanity, uh, and we've got the Master. This is set up for a great finale. I will say, though, I'm still not quite sure what was actually happening in terms of, are these literally the last six humans left anywhere ever, or is this all that's left of one colony, or is this just a particular group of stragglers? I'm not quite sure. 
And if it was meant to be literally the last six humans left alive after the Cyberman War, that's a pretty massive sort of thing that really, really wasn't sold. I think it's one of those statements, though, like when we say Luke Skywalker was the last Jedi, you know, back in A New Hope. I refuse to believe that that was the case. You know, I I think it's just broadly, these are the last ones we sort of know of, but I'm sure there are other humans out there somewhere. Yeah, look, I I hope so, because if not, we've just wiped out humanity by taking them back to the past. So, (laughs) which brings me on to episode 10, which I'm much less positive about. Yeah. There were positive things in there. I enjoyed Sasha Dewan being completely crazy, completely and utterly crazy, and, and very charismatic while doing it. There were a couple of nice set pieces in there. Uh, the moment when the companions are hiding inside the cyber suits, for example, uh, the battle on the planet with the Cybermen, all of those sort of things in that first third to first half gave me enough action adventure to keep me going. Unfortunately, for the most part, I was bored. Mm. there was a lot of Jodie standing around having things explained to her at length. Then there are lots of climatic scenes that were people standing around talking at each other. Um, And and, and that, unfortunately, even though it was intermixed with some action and excitement, um, the middle third to second half really wasn't. It was just lots of urgently talking. And then you get the really bunkum stuff that comes in there, like the death particle just coming out of nowhere for no apparent reason. Whilst I did think that the death of the lone Cyberman was a like cool, like, wow, they went there moment for about 30 seconds. Then you're like, so what was the point? Yeah. Uh, I thought that the lone Cyberman's plan to make them all robots wasn't just rubbish, but having the master go, that's a really rubbish, stupid idea. You go, yeah, it is. Like when the master's agreeing with you and that's, that's it. You promise. Yeah. That, that's a problem. The, the resolution was, I think not what it should have been. Yes. The spectacular thing of the cyber ship exploding over the ruins of the Citadel. That's a great image. That's going to be an iconic image of the show. Positive there. But what should have been a real landing moment of, defining Jodie Whittaker's doctor, you know, a moral conundrum of I can do this or I can't do this. It never landed in the way that do I have the right did for Tom or the way that a similar scene did for Christopher Eccleston in his last episode. I think there should have been an alternative there. Um, Part of me wondered, had it been Graham who sacrificed himself, that would have been pretty phenomenal and pretty powerful. And and then mm. I thought, well, what if, what if at the end of um, Can You Hear Me, Graham's comment to the Doctor was that his cancer had returned. And then I thought that's actually too dark for the show to, to sort of have gone down and I still think it would have been pretty cool, but no, too dark, shouldn't have done that. But but I feel like there should have been something else. So um, the Brendan stuff that was in Ireland, that was really interesting and engaging and intrigued me in Ascension of the Cybermen, lots of points. And then it was kind of just like a screensaver that kind of yeah. got brushed away. Um, so much of the setup didn't land for me. I, I was bored for too much of it, so it was a very weak finale for me. Yeah, oh, look, just to talk of that island stuff and Brendan, it set up so much in the first episode that this is this is important. Look at this. Oh, gosh, he's falling off a cliff. It, it, Chris Chibnall's gone back to Broadchurch where someone falls off a cliff. Isn't this amazing? <laughs> you know, and it's it's got me thinking, what's going on here? This this kid he's grown up and he's become an old man but his dad is still his dad is still young and and the old police sergeant is still there and oh god and then it becomes as you say 
just like one brief scene in amongst all these other scenes. And it's like, well, what is it actually meant to mean? That that was the Doctor? But why were they torturing him? For what reason? Why had they remained young? Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, just just mind-blowing. What was the whole point of it? The, the final episode made me annoyed in several ways, that, that island thing and just squibbing on, you know, actually telling a decent story around it was, was one example. That it actually did flow back through the series and bring me, bring me down a bit overall. I thought we were really heading somewhere, this could be really good if he lands it, and he hasn't landed it, you know. So, that being the case, Rob, I'm going to push you for a yes or no answer first off for this, and then obviously we'll discuss it. Okay. In this series, Chibnall has clearly tried to introduce what we would call an arc. Um, similar to what Moffat and RTD did in some series, kind of a Blake 7, Babylon 5, DS9 type arc. Did it work? My answer is yes and no. No, I'm going to push you up, which <sighs> you, you, you can qualify it in your comments, but overall, yes or All right. no. I, I will qualify that in my comments. I would say yes. I'm the same. I will have a heavy qualification in my comments, but overall, I'm going to say yes. The The arc aspects of this series, I think, unquestionably added to the excitement and enjoyability of the series. Mm. Now can I qualify it? Please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my answer, Dave, was yes and no. Because um, <laughs> yes, from the point of view that it looped around, it told a story, and, and there's obviously more to come too, what this shady group on Gallifrey was up to, where the Ruth Doctor fits in. Yeah, I, I know there's more to come. Yeah, where, 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 where Lenny Henry camp goes. Oh, well... Or, or if he does, or yeah, they're yeah, just going to sure. let that go. I don't know. Yeah. So yes, there there was an arc uh, of sorts. It worked in terms of the narrative, but did it work for me personally? No, it didn't. Because this is what I'm saying. Up until that last episode, I was saying, this is good. I hope he pulls it off. So it kept me strung along, which is great, which is working. You know, the arc's doing just fine, but then it didn't land. And I was left a bit meh and a bit, why are we even going there? And so the arc fell apart for me personally. But yes, it worked overall. Look, I, I broadly agree with you. I'll, I'll use some different examples, though. As I just said, I think that it definitely added to the excitement of the show. Having the master turn up in the first episode and really being set up to come back added a sense of anticipation that was really good. Uh, Lenny Henry, again, I think his character was really good. He was one of the best aspects of the series. And he was left open as to when he's coming back. Having Jack suddenly coming, having the Ruth Doctor introduced and sort of all those questions about what is this, how is this going to happen, mm. I, I thought was really exciting. And it did add to my enjoyment and anticipation of the series. I was I was more excited about, oh, what happens in the next episode because of wanting to know how it all played out. So, so that is a positive. I agree with you, though. I don't think a lot of it landed as well as it should. Now, I fully expect that the Ruth Doctor and the Jack stuff surely, surely has to be incomplete. We're going to see more of that. If that's not the case, that's really poor. Yeah. But I think we will. Um, I think the Lone Cyberman really sums up a lot of what the problem was here because I don't think the payoff was remotely worth the setup. When Jack came back... So, so you know, something as phenomenal and as important as a iconic integral character to a part of the show coming back to give a warning that to me is a big big deal like this isn't just 
you know, you know, the woman on the bus who sort of says, oh, he will knock four times. You know, she's just a random character who's, who's coming to give you a bit of a... Yeah, this is Captain Jack coming back. So this is yes. as big an arrow pointing to this as you can have, saying this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And he says, beware the lone Cyberman. Do not give it what it wants. There will be consequences. So the lone Cyberman turns up and he's lone in the sense that he doesn't have any friends, which is kind of not quite the epic thing that I was expecting of it, but okay. <laughs> and then Jody does make the decision to give him what he wants, which I think did work in the episode. That whole concept of the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many is an important concept in morality. It's something that's been explored in science fiction you know, Star Trek 2 and 3 particularly, obviously. Uh, but that, that's an important part of Doctor Who. The, the Doctor would say, no, I'm not making a numerical calculation. One life is worth saving. Yeah. But at that point, she's done what Jack said not to do. And to me, there was no consequence of that. Correct. There was no moment where the Doctor had to pay a price because she'd made this decision. The Siberium actually doesn't really play much of a role other than the lone Cyberman saying, oh, the Siberian said to do this. Uh, he then gets killed in what look that was a very cool moment, but you suddenly go, well, if he's that dispensable, why did any of this matter? Why did the Siberian matter? Jody doesn't lose anything, or I should say the Doctor doesn't lose anything for not doing what Jack said. And that, to me, makes the whole thing kind of a damp squib. Mm. Um, the the master creating those absurd looking cyber thingies. Now, and look, unless they all escaped with the master at the end when he did, did his whole quick, come with me, guys. Um, look, maybe I'm underselling it. But again, to create these things, give them a bizarre, wacky costume, and then just talk about it for 10 minutes and then destroy them with the plot device of the day, who cares? Mm. So... That's interesting. We haven't got to, and we will get to, the, the the Doctor Ruth Time Lord Revelation stuff. But that, to me, is is a big, big disappointment of the series. Yeah, look, I, I said that I liked the, uh, the Cyber Lords as they were because they were just so weird-looking and such a crazy idea. But I think it would have worked much better if he'd gone and, and kidnapped some, some Time Lords and had them converted and then marched into Gallifrey and said to the existing Time Lords, look, here's the future of your race, our race. Look what I've done to us. I think that would have been far more shocking than him just resurrecting some in a destroyed Gallifrey and saying to the Doctor, oh, look what I did here. You know, I, I think that could have been a much bigger moment. And you don't, don't even have to destroy Gallifrey to do that. You can have this big cyber th- war thing going on, have him march in at the last minute with these guys, and the Time Lords would just be like, oh, my God, wow. Or, or if, they, if they arrive before the fall of Gallifrey and the Siberium is the thing that allows the Master and the Cybermen to destroy Gallifrey. Yes, you know, yes. you know, they, there's a price, or 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 if if there's there's a there's a setback in the war, or a colony's destroyed, or something, you know, I, I think back to Babylon Five, where when Londo Malari is told, if you don't do these things, there will be a consequence. Well, you see the fall of Centauri Prime, that is the consequence of his actions, and mm. he pays a personal price for that. I, I think you look. I, I, I was going to start repeating myself. I don't think the payoff was worth the epic, certainly in that part of the arc, um, which is a shame because it was, I think, overall exciting. 
Mm. Uh, a thought to end with here, which might uh, excite you a great deal when you think about it. Is K9 still on Gallifrey? And being non-organic, does that mean he's now in charge of Gallifrey? <laughs> That's quite a cool thought. Um, I, <laughs> I, 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 I guess he, I guess he must be, and I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe he was destroyed in the Time War. You know, sacrificed himself nobly in the Time War. Who mm-hmm. knows? But um, look, if we are, if we are doing sort of um, little continuity bits, I have enjoyed the stuff on social media about the fact that Tom Baker's caretaker is obviously a little bit of a, a bastard to Matt Smith's doctor. He's like, Gallifrey foes no more for a couple of years and it all gets wiped out. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so we intimated before that we hadn't got to what I guess we could call the canon stuff. Mm. Uh, shall I go first or should you go first on this one? Yeah, but please, please, Dave, go first. Okay. I think that we need to split the big revelations of the Timeless Children into a couple of factors and make a couple of points. And I'll make them quickly. One is simply that I am not particularly fussed or phased by anything that happened in this episode. I'm, I'm really not. My copy of An Unearthly Child and the Daleks and the Dardanelles Invasion and the Androids of Tara are completely unchanged and still as wonderful because they've done something a bit different with continuity. I'm completely unfazed by it at all. And in fact, Chibnall has done it in a way very similar to what Moffat did with the War Doctor, where he said, look, if you want to only count the number of Doctors, you're free to do that. If you want to count the War Doctor as well, you can do that too. It's kind of up to you. Chibnall's kind of done it in that way. I don't think anything that we saw particularly changed canon. I don't think it rewrote what we knew about the Time Lords of the Doctor. It simply added to it. So I'm kind of fine in that sense. Do I like the idea of Doctors before this Doctor? Not really. Mm. Um, But I don't care that much. As I say, it doesn't change anything for me. Do I think that all the revelations that it took half an hour to talk about, about Tactayan or the Aztec-named woman and... Um, you know, you know that was kind of interesting, but I wasn't that excited by it. It wasn't as interesting as what they could have done with the Cybermen, but I didn't care. Uh, the one thing that I did care about was making the Doctor the Timeless Child. Mm. I'm not tearing my hair out. I'm not burning my DVDs. I'm not having rants on social media about it. I don't care that much. I really don't. But to me, part of the magic of the Doctor is that he was just another Time Lord who got bored who didn't want to watch and not interfere. He wanted to interfere. He wanted to explore the universe firsthand. He he doesn't want to read about civilizations in a book or through the Matrix. He wants to go there and he wants yeah. to experience a civilization and he wants to learn by doing. And he and in part of that, he, he, he learns that sometimes you have to fight evil and you have to interfere and, and there is a moral rightness that, mm. that comes from that. And I think that's a wonderful thing. The Doctor being a special or godlike or mythic chosen one style character for me isn't what I like about the character I think it's a very very boring thing it's it's like the difference between Luke Skywalker starting off being just a farm boy who gets caught up in all this and then you kind of find out that actually like he's part of a lineage you go that's that's not quite as exciting but I get it because the whole point of the Star Wars saga is he was the chosen one I said in a review of the last Star Wars I liked Ray more when, when she was just a random person who got caught up in stuff and had to do good and then she becomes another scion I don't like that I don't like it in Doctor Who I don't like it elsewhere 
you know, as I say, I'm not I'm not fussed about it because whatever. It, the, the, the stories I enjoy are still just as enjoyable, but I just think it's a dumb move. Yeah. Well, look, there's two things to unpack there, so let's let's pause and I'll return serve on them. Working backwards, the Doctor is the timeless child. I thought it would be far more interesting if it wasn't the Doctor. Yeah. Because not only does it preserve some mystery, which is what you're talking about, let's keep the Doctor mysterious, but we also get into this territory that Stephen was talking about on our Hot Take episode, which was consider that Gallifrey exists because they grabbed this kid, this alien kid, and killed them over and over Mm. and over and over. And that's really dark. That's a great story. And it's not explaining anything about the background of the Doctor that we don't want to hear. So it's a win-win. A great story and not explaining about the Doctor. What? Why couldn't we have gone in that direction? Yeah, or, or if some vault under the Eye of Harmony, this child was chained up and her energy being used to fuel all regenerations of all Time Lords or, or something. That would have been a very interesting sort of thing. Uh, and, and, and just to go off for a very tiny tangent there, a, again... I didn't buy why the master was so pissed off by it. No. You know, there, there, there was there was that line in there about now I've got a piece of you inside me, and it's like, yeah, kind mm. of, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> but I, I, for for all of Sasha's wonderful performance, I wasn't sold on like this is so bad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I I, I hear you. Uh, and to talk about Doctors pre Hartnell, personally, I I think it's dumb. Uh, I'm going to go for it here, Dave. I see why they're doing it. Yeah. You know, I, I absolutely see why they're doing it. And, you know, at the stroke of a pen, they can now say that the Doctor has been every sex, presumably every sexuality, every colour, every race. And and isn't that marvellous? And on face value, sure. Sure it is. Absolutely. And, and let me let me just add there, I did the maths. Uh, and if you, if you assume that the Doctor's comment about 10 million years of absolute power is accurate, Mm. and you assume that the age Troughton gives in Tomb uh, of being about 450 years and that the first Doctor basically, you know, regenerated because of old age, um, that allows for just over 22,000 incarnations. <laughs> Jeez, that puts it in perspective, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Because, you know, look, this, this doing it at the stroke of a pen, I just find cheap and nasty. Rather than doing the hard yards on screen... And bringing on more men and women and sexualities, if that's even needed in Doctor Who, and and colours, rather than doing that in the, in the future, Chibnall's like, ah, oh, yeah, the Doctor was always all of this, you know, and it might delight Big Finish with the possibilities. They can now make Doctor Who with, with anyone, and, and it's canon, presumably. But honestly, I don't think it was needed. Doctor Who is what it is, and if a showrunner wants to change the future, have at it. But changing the past, I'm, I'm less down with. Even if the Doctor doesn't remember being people before Hartnell, I still think it detracts from Hartnell because it just does. But I'm honestly reaching an age where I can't rage about it. I just shake my head and move on and think, oh, well, you know, we'll yeah. have a new showrunner announced in the next year or so. Uh, it is what it is. Yeah, and look, at the end of the day, when it comes to episode one of series 13 in 18 months' time, presumably the Doctor will just go off and have another adventure and this will all kind of be irrelevant. So, you know, who cares? Uh, mm. I, As I say, it's not the decision I would have made, and I think there are more exciting things they could have done with it. Uh, the, oh, a bit more imagination. It could have been wonderful. Yeah, look, that's true. However, that said, 
I was thinking about this and I thought, okay, as you said, Rob, we're, we're at a certain age, you know, we, we average out to, you know, an age somewhere in the early 40s, I think. Mm. And, and that's fine. You know, we, we, we came to Doctor Who through the classic series. We grew up with it. And the new series is sort of something that's come to us in our adult life. And I thought, but if you're somebody who is the age now that I was when I was watching Babylon 5, you know, that, that sort of middle to late high school and then it finished in my first year of university, I think. That sort of teenage years, when I watched Babylon 5 and every revelation was amazing and deep inside the soul and revelationary and it was such a big deal. I was bored into that. And I thought if you're a teenager now who is watching Doctor Who, so you probably came to the show, maybe you were watching when you were, you know, five in, in 2005 or more likely you've come to it at some point. And, and this is your version of Doctor Who. This is your show. You know, you might have watched some classic or you might not have, but th- this is your show and you're invested yeah. I think that these revelations would have been mind-blowing in the same way that Babylon 5 was for us. And and I checked out a few Twitter feeds and a few um, uh, a few online videos. Um, who Figure Adventures, I've tweeted out before a couple of times. There's a guy who, a youngish guy who does some really great uh, hot takes on, on YouTube of, of Doctor Who. And yeah, absolutely. I think this stuff was a big revelation for many of those people of that age. So I, I think that it did land maybe for people who are more invested than we are because it is the right place in their life for it. And I'm very cool with that. Yeah, look, I I think you're right because, yeah, I think back to other shows I've watched and they've hit me at the right time. And, and I think, yeah, that was, that was right. And then other shows that I never watched when I was young and I watched them now, I probably don't have the same reactions that I would have had when I was a younger person. So I, I, I totally get you on that, Dave. At the start of this episode, you were talking about the dying days and, and Doctor Who, you know, being a bit more fun than, than, it, than it currently is. And it reminded me of this um, meme that Spanky Backpack put out uh, just recently. And I, I jotted it down, actually. Spanky Backpack said, Absolutely baffled why anyone would make silly old Doctor Who fight in a war, do unspeakable things, be a slave time agent, or have terrible secret lives. Not everything has to be dark, gritty, or serious. And I I think, yeah, it does seem for these finales in recent years, Doctor Who's trying to be like, ah, oh, this is the biggest and baddest thing that's ever happened since last time. And it's it's going down, I don't know, this Marvel movies route or this J.J. Mm. J. Abrams route just to try and be bigger and better and darker. And, and it's like, do we really need to go there? I don't know. I don't like that it's going there, but you asked, do we need to go there? And I think there is an argument that after 38 series of the show, maybe you do. You know, how, mm. you know, can, can, can you just give us Adventure of the Week every week for 38 years? Maybe not. I think, I think you do have to try something different and you do have to up the stakes. And so I, I do get it, even if it's not quite what I would do. But does it have to centre on the Doctor? And this is where we no. come back to that question about, you know, could the timeless child have been chained up under Gallifrey and be an incredibly dark, awful thing, but it's not telling you more about the Doctor? No. Or do you suddenly make the Cybermen bigger and badder and more epic than, frankly, they've ever been on the screen? And they kind of were going down that path and going, oh, no, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there are other ways you can do it, I think. Which is not to detract from the fact that a lot of the moments were really, really good. Spyfall was great. The Master was great. Some of the cyber stuff was great. 
Future of the Dadoon was amazing. I love the Ruth Doctor. She's a great. I want to see more of her. Uh, so we, we, we've, uh, I guess, smashed pretty comprehensively those aspects of the arc we didn't like. But yeah. this comes back to what I said very early in the episode about how much we perhaps shouldn't let the legacy of the Timeless Children overshadow the other nine episodes in that series. I think that would be very, very unfair to the series. But it is such a big deal that we can't probably help from letting that happen a bit. Oh, I, I agree. And we'll get to our scores and see if they've changed uh, a little later. But uh, a few other things to talk about, Dave. Probably the fam, the Doctor, and bringing back lots of old stuff. I know we've jotted this down to talk about. Where do you want to start? Look, let's go with the fam because... Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably a bit of a negative for me and the Doctor's probably a bit of a positive for me, so spoilers. So like, I think that's a good order to do them in. <laughs> in a moment, I think we're both going to talk about how much we've enjoyed Jodie Whittaker this series, particularly compared to last. That's a very positive thing, but to the detriment of the companions. In 42 to 50 minutes of television, there are only so many moments, only so many lines. I've said this before. And by giving the Doctor more, that's great, but you have given the companions less. By adding so many companions, they've almost made Doctor Who an ensemble cast. Now, an ensemble cast works in something like Blake 7 or Star Trek, where this week's the Data episode, and this week's the Deanna episode, and Gan doesn't get an episode, but this week's you know, Villa and Avon get an episode. You know, that, that works. Unfortunately, in Doctor Who, well, it's in the title. You, you can't not have an episode that's about the Doctor unless you have one of the very rare once a season, you know, Doctor Light episodes, which are such a big deal. We've invented a term for them. We call them Doctor mm. Light episodes. <laughs> you know, Doctor Who is not an ensemble show. It's a show with a lead and then other co-leads. And when you have two, you can make them pretty close to equal, as Moffat particularly really did with Clara and Amy. Um, and even RTD, I guess, with Rose in some ways. But, but doing it with four just hasn't worked. Look, for all of the, the attempts to talk Yaz up and give us some moments, Yaz, I still really don't know her. I think she's a bit of a contradiction, whatever. Ryan, I, I kind of like. I like Tosin Cole. I think his performance is very charming. What did he do this series? Not yeah, much. Again, not much. some nice moments that Tosin made very, very charismatic, but not much. Graham, who was a big revelation. I think a lot of fandom loved Graham in Series 11 and have enjoyed him in Series 8, but... I think about how many episodes where Graham sort of had like four lines and, you know, three of them were, what's that do, Doctor? I don't get it. <laughs> and the other was, you know, here's, here's Graham's heartfelt line for the series because Graham does those really, really well. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of family by formula. I think that it's good that the Doctor got more, but it has come at their expense. Four in the TARDIS crew has not worked. Lovely moments, but so underused. Bradley Walsh, particularly, I think, was really underused this series. Yeah, I'll I'll go very briefly over this because you've you've already said so much, Dave, about what I would have said. That I think the Davison era proved comprehensively that a three companion TARDIS team might have worked okay-ish at times back in the '60s, but it was tough work by the 1980s in that format of the show. And these days, and in the 1980s, you had usually four parts. Yes, and in and in the sixties you had six or seven parts quite often, yes. not yes. forty minutes. Yeah, because these days in that even more compressed format, it's just next to impossible for them to do anything of note, especially with these sizable guest casts that we're also getting on top, which is just astounding to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and that's all I've got to say about the fam. Well, do you want to lead us then on the Doctor? 
Yeah, look, a moment ago, Dave, you said you think we're both going to praise Jodie. And, and look, I think she did very well. And I gave her an MVP uh, at least once, if not multiple times during the series. So don't get me wrong with what I'm about to say. Because I still don't feel I have a good fix on the Doctor's character. We're here at the end of the second series. And yeah, she's generically pleasant. She's often childlike. Uh, but what else is she? I know the appearance of some of these old foes and the destruction of Gallifrey gave her something to actually act against during the series, and her performance rose accordingly in those scenes. It became quite interesting in those scenes. That's great, but it's only in those scenes. I still genuinely, absolutely genuinely, not being a hater, genuinely (laughs) don't know what I'm going to get from story to story with her outside of she's just generically pleasant and sometimes childlike. Look, maybe maybe you're looking for too much there. Um, maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to dismiss what you're saying. I'm not going to disagree with what you're saying in large part, but I'm going to be a bit more positive in that I have gone from being very, very concerned about Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor to having more or less really enjoyed her this series. I think she has had a lot more to do. She's been more of a lead in the stories, which is really good. She has been more involved in the resolution of the stories. She has been more the moral heart of the stories. Jodie's been given a chance to be angry. She's been given a chance to be distant. She she has got those moments where she's had to explain to the companions that, you know, we call ourselves the fan, but you know, this is this is not a flat command structure. You are my companions. That has been, I think, all very positive for her, and I have enjoyed her Doctor this season. Uh, I, I, like you, gave her several MVPs. I think she was the best thing in a lot of episodes. Maybe I'm being overly generous because I'm grading on a curve compared to last year. Mm. Maybe, maybe. But mm. uh, I think she was one of the big positives of the last 10 episodes. Oh, and look, that's completely fair, because, again, I acknowledge she did some good stuff here. Absolutely. And that she was better than last series. Absolutely. So I think we're on the same page, you know, more more than not. Yeah, no, look, look, I think so. I I, I think that she has been one of the strongest things. I I think that uh, it it is unfortunate that it has come to the detriment of the companions. And so maybe if it is just the Doctor and one or maybe two companions next year, that will really be a chance for Jodie to shine uh, I think she can do it, and I think given more time as well, she will do it. And, and maybe her and Yaz will be a really good combination. Yeah, could be. Although they were getting very testy with each other, um, maybe that'll resolve itself in the uh, in the holiday special. Or, or maybe that's going to give them both a chance to actually do a bit more acting. And mm. you know, the idea of the Doctor travelling with somebody who is a bit more wary. I mean, after the stuff that the family has gone through in the last couple of episodes with, with the Doctor actively telling them, sorry, your opinion doesn't matter and you don't get to make the decision and this is not a partnership. How does that play out? Is, is Yaz going to be a bit more jaded and a bit more cynical and questioning the Doctor more? And how does the Doctor react? That could be a very good setup for the next series. It could, or does it take us into Tegan territory where you just want to say, look, love, if, you, if you're not enjoying <laughs> it, why, why are you here? Yeah, look, yeah. That's, that's the danger. That is the danger. So, yeah, yeah. look, look that, that will be interesting. I, I think that a smaller TARDIS team can only be a positive. Mm. Now, look, to, to round out, we want to talk about, you know, there were lots of old things coming back in this series. There were Cybermen, the Master Gallifrey, and so on. Did it work, Dave? Yes, absolutely. This was an exciting season. 
The Master came back and Sasha Duana was brilliant. The Jadoon came back and they were, I think, better than they've been before, partly because the technology's better, partly I think they were written just so, so well. Captain Jack came back only for one episode and only in one set, but it was just so fun. The Cybermen came back, new design, some new ideas. Look, I've got mixed thoughts on the Lone Cybermen, but again, a new and different take. Uh, many of the big positives of this season have been seeing old things come back and the Doctor deal with them. This is a big, big positive for me. All right, I'll take a slightly different track uh, here. <laughs> Because I think the old stuff broadly did help the series feel more like Doctor Who, which yeah. is a good, which is a good thing. Yeah. But you know, when we got to the end and it all became this tricksy stuff about the Doctor not being Gallifreyan and apparently mm. being killed over and over again, so this plucky uh, female explorer who we've never heard of before could work out regeneration. All the while, Rassilon and Omega weren't mentioned uh, at all, which was quite strange. I thought, and the whole thing became about a new background to the Doctor that we don't need to know. I thought in, in regards to that old stuff, or should we call it new old stuff, because <laughs> it's old stuff, but it's new to us, it was a bit of a bore and unnecessary, and what would the not-we be thinking of all this? Like, what what what's, what's all this going on? This is bizarre. Surely they would be thinking that. Yeah, look, that's fair enough, you know, and, and also the references to the Shaboggans and to Barusa and, and the <laughs> That's like, right. Um, which I, I don't know whether that was a nice reference or a bit wanky, and I think it probably was a bit wanky. Uh, once again, I'm finding myself making the point about just how big the shadow of the Timeless Children is reaching back over the season. If I asked you that stuff about old monsters and villains coming back at the end of episode nine, mm-hmm. would you have had any, had any caveats on your enjoyment of them? No, I would have said it was it was coming back. It was a great thing, you know, and yeah. I would have left it at that. I wouldn't have got into the not we stuff and all it, that other stuff. It, exactly, which you know, I, I think the shadow of the timeless children is a very real thing. Yeah, as I said to Stephen on the hot take, why are we doing this? Why, why are we even going here? Yeah. Is it needed? And is it going to become a big thing in future series? And if not, then why are we doing it? Yeah. So look, I always say that what I want from Doctor Who is fun adventures in time and space. Nine out of ten episodes here really delivered that. Agree. And one didn't, but it didn't in such a big way that it is... It's, it's like a black hole that sort of distorts gravity and light and space around it. And it has, I think, distorted our view of other episodes. Which brings us to the question, Rob. Mm. Have you changed your scores for anything? I'll start by saying, have you rewatched many of them? I haven't. Honestly, I have not. You know, for these hot takes, I watch it once to do the hot take, and then most of them I watched again with my wife. But several of them I didn't watch again because my wife said, I'm just not into this series at all. I've got no interest. Let's not watch it. Let's watch Picard or let's watch um, Altered Carbon or, you know, whatever we've been watching at the time. And I've said, okay. And so I've not actually watched some of them a second time. But in terms of rescoring, I I looked down the list and only one score I felt was a bit too high. And that's Fugitive of the Jadoon. I gave it a 9 out of 10. And I want to take that back to an 8. I think it was just like, oh, we've got this new Doctor. Oh, she's quite good at what she does. Oh, this is exciting. This is amazing. And I think I got a bit carried away with the score. Once you take away that revelation and just think about it as a story, it's solid. I'm, I'm happy to give it an eight. I just don't think it was a nine. Otherwise, I was very happy with all my scores, which averaged out to be a 7.3 across the series. Oh, wow. That's not too bad. Yeah. 
Uh, look, I've gone back and watched a number of them from the first sort of half to two thirds of the series. I've changed my score on three. Okay. I started off giving Spyfall Part 1 an 8. I'm actually bumping that up to an 8.5. I think looking back now, it was a really good opening to the season. It was so fun. It was so exciting. The revelation of the Master was so good. Sasha Dewan was so good. Lady Henry was so good. I think that I was maybe, uh, you know, being a bit conservative because it was it's the first episode of the season, so you you don't want to you know give your best score straight away. You want to give yeah. give room for it to get better. And so I'm I'm just bumping it up to an eight point five. I think it, it it really was a good opener. Okay. I ummed and ahed about Orphan Fifty Five. I yeah. have gone back and watched it a second time. I gave it a six the first time. I'm gonna stick with a six. Whilst watching it a second time. Again, it is just such a mess. Plot threads just come and go and disappear for no apparent reason. But there is action. There are some really cool monsters. There's some nice ideas in there. So I think a six is a balanced score. Um, although I did flirt with lowering it down. I am going to lower Praxius. I gave it a 6.5. I'm taking a point down and making it a 5.5. Because yeah. watching it again, I was again just like, I just don't know what's happening here. It's, yes. it's, a, it's a mess. Uh, it's a visually exciting mess, <laughs> but it's a mess. So I'm, I'm dropping that down to a 5.5. Mm-hmm. I'm dropping Ascension from an 8, an 8 to a 7 because I think watching it the second time, knowing what's coming, sorry, you know, the, the lone sideman, all the build-up, when you know that it's not going to pay off, it's kind of hard for it to hold up. Uh, so I'm dropping that from an 8 to a 7. Uh, and Timeless Children, I gave it a 5 at the time. I'm keeping it as a 5. Okay. So I started off my averages uh, from my hot takes as a 7.15 out of 10. Okay. And my changes have dropped it down to an exact 7 out of 10. Very good. As I said, mine were a 7.3. And when I took, what did I take down? Fugitive of the Jadoon. It went down to a 7.2. So not much of a a change there. No. And overall, we're, we're very, very close. But look, my lowest score is a 5. And that's for the Timeless Exposition. I had a number of scores lower than that last year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And to look at an average of over seven for me and and on seven for you, seven's not bad. Seven's average, and it might explain how we feel about the series overall. Yeah, and and I know know you've lowered it, Rob, but I'm still keeping my 9.5 for Fugitive. Wow. Okay, so you really liked it. I really liked it. I think it was just a really exciting... I think that is one that will become a classic. I think Spyfall Part 1 will be known as a classic. And there's some other just really solid adventures in there that I think will hold up very well. I think I think this has been a very good season, although its problems are big problems. Biggest disappointment for me here, Dave, the, you didn't bump up Haunting of Villa Diodati, which remains at nine for me. I loved it. Yeah, it's still a 7.5 for me. But I will be honest, I haven't watched that a second time. I haven't had time to. Okay. Um, so look, if, if at some point I do and I change it, maybe at some point I'll, uh, I'll bring that up as a mini topic or something. Very good. Shall we go to the sports desk? One last time. So we are now at the sports desk where for the whole of Series 12, we are giving our play of the series, our foul of the series, and our player of the series. 
Rob, why don't you kick us off? What was your play of the whole of the last 10 episodes? Dave, my play of the last 10 episodes is something we've discussed at length earlier here. So I'm, I'm happy that we've done that. So I won't have to go on and on about it now. It was having an arc, just yep. having an arc, you know, compared to series 11, where it was a bit aimless and uh, not reaching too high here. There was an arc. It was really reaching for it. And until that final episode, and this was something I was saying on hot takes, you know, I think I gave an MVP to Chris Chibnall one week saying, look, he's really going for it here. And even if he fails, he he's having a crack. This is good. You know, I, I didn't know how badly he'd crash and burn in the episode after, but <laughs> at the time I was like, yes, I'm on board with this. And broadly, I think it was a good thing to do. It made the series feel bigger and more interesting than the one before. And the writing was better too across the board. So it made for a better series overall. So I think having that idea, having that aspiration, wanting to reach up and try something, even if you fail. Oh, I sound like a motivational speaker. <laughs> I think that was a good thing. And I'm going with that as my play of the series. No, very cool. I totally, totally can get on board with that. I'm going for a very specific play for my play of the series. And that is the few minutes in Fugitive of the Jadoon from them arriving at the lighthouse, mm-hmm. going through, discovering the uh, fire alarm button that's got the Gallifreyan writing. Then you cut to the Doctor discovering the TARDIS buried mm-hmm. underneath the ground, Ruth coming in and saying, I'm the Doctor, and then going into that console room. That whole sequence just had me on the edge of my seat, squeeing like a fan. It sits in my mind as just being this wow moment iconic imagery brilliantly acted perfectly put together i think that of everything in this series that is the bit that's just going to sit in fandom's memory and indeed the general public's memory and kind of define it because it was it could not have been done in a more perfect way in my view and it was just a wonderful revelation that just flew open the series and uh was really exciting yeah, when, when that bit of uh, sandy earth is pulled away and the police yeah. box sign is there and the light the light is lit. Yeah. Uh, it's it's one of those moments where I'm like, Wow, you yeah. know, that's yeah, okay, what's going on? I'm I'm on I'm on board. Yeah, that was good. So I'll keep going with my foul of the series, mm-hmm. and I've already discussed it at length. I'm giving it to the Lone Cyberman. Because okay. I just don't think that the potential was there remotely landed. To to have something built up so epically, to have a really good performance and an interesting idea in who this character was, giving him an army of Cybermen, and then it all kind of ending with the Master telling him he's a bit rubbish and just killing him and no one cares. I just thought, what a letdown. What a waste yeah. of an opportunity. And that, to me, is my foul. Yeah, I can't disagree with you there. My foul, Dave, we had a listener. Do you remember Millie on uh, Facebook who yeah. said we should we should uh, we should fight more on the show? <laughs> I do, yes. <laughs> I picked something which could be our first brawl, Dave. Okay. Because my foul is well, let me rewind a bit. When when Sasha Dewan first appeared, I said, uh, look, he was played so well before the big reveal that he was the master, but then he got a bit dancey and spinny and a bit silly. And I said, I hope he doesn't go down that path. 
and you said well, he might not. He's just excited in the moment. You know, he's tricked. <laughs> he's tricked the doctor, uh, and he's he's excited. I said, okay, all right, Dave, that's good. We get him returning, and he is basically. I'm going to say this. He is a cut price Joker. He's in the purple <laughs> outfit, the checks. He's just acting like a buffoon. And I know you said earlier this episode you loved it, so I thought, oh, God, we're going to fight at the end of this episode. That would be terrible. <laughs> I just thought, oh, my God, they've let the Master go silly again. When on earth are we just going to get a malevolent, cold, hard bastard back as the Master? You know, because it just reinforces this thing to modern New Who audiences that this is how the Master is. He's just like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm crazy, me. Can we just please have a normal Master? Please and thank you. Amen. Look, I, don't, I, I do disagree, and I'm sure you're not shocked to hear that. <laughs> uh, I get why you feel that way. I totally do. I don't think you're, you're saying anything. I like. Well, gee, you know, Rob didn't take his pills this morning. Um, <laughs> the master, I think, does reflect the times in which he's set. Delgado is of the '70s, without any doubt. Ainley is a villain of the '80s. You know, big, bombastic, loud. He's an '80s master. Sim, when he comes along, he's like that sort of, you know, end of the Blair years, end of the Bush years, um, slightly corrupt, slightly sinister, slightly unpleasant, slightly barking. Like he, He's of his time. And I think you're right in that Sacha Duan is a cut-price joker, but that is, that is where we are in drama today. Like, he's pulling from what is a villain in 2020 pop culture and, and, and reflecting that. And I think that's what the master does. I never found it over the top. I never found it silly. It, to me, was the right side of bonkers. But it is one of those things, like the Cyberlord's costume, which you found, like, the right side of bonkers, I found it the wrong side and therefore silly. You know, mm. it, it's a very fine line, and it's different with everybody, this sort of thing. What 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 clearly fell the wrong side of the line for you fell the right side of the line for me. I, I think Sasha Duane was amazing. I'm on my flight back to Australia... One of the movies I watched for I don't know, the fifth or sixth time was The History Boys, which is a brilliant movie, let me say. It is. But yeah. watching Sasha Dewan in that, now knowing that he you know, would go on to play the master, and just the intensity of that performance and some of the looks he gives his teachers and other students, I see that, that in there. And I think that underneath all of the Joker-like stuff of Dewan's performance, there is always those eyes looking at you, powerful, malevolent. I, I don't think that ever leaves him. So whilst I totally get that didn't land for you, I fundamentally disagree with your assessment. <laughs> Just speaking of the history, boys, can we get Sam, Sam Barnett as the uh, 13th Doctor and have him up against Sasha? Would that be fun? Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll bring but... Russell Tovey back as well. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yeah, look, I, I see everything you're saying, and I should say that I, I do think Sasha Dewan is a very good actor, and the performance he's giving is right for what he's trying to do. I think my problem is the master seems to have been going down this path for a while, and although it might be following the times, it is making him or her seem a bit one... One note's probably not the right term, but going in that direction more so than the Delgado days. And, and maybe if the, the master had been more Delgado-ish and then became a Sasha Dewan, I'd say, oh, this is really different. This is really bizarre. I like it. You know, so it's maybe not what the performance is doing, but how I see it fitting into who overall and how it's skewing, to my mind, the master's character. 
Yeah, I totally understand your argument. I I just don't agree. <laughs> that that's as violent as our fights get. I'm afraid. Yeah, apologies, Millie. So, Rob, um, we're now up to our player of the season. I've just you know reached across my desk and pulled off a ten new shekels coin. I'm going to ask heads or tails to see who goes first. So, Rob, heads or tails? Uh, tails never fails, Dave. And it is heads, so I'm going first. <laughs> okay. Uh, my player of the series is Chris Chibnall. Ooh, wow. And I'm just saying that because at the end of last series, there was, look, there was some extreme criticism of the show. There was some love of the show. But in the middle of it, I detected a very large homogenous amount of feedback about the show, which is we kind of like it. We think Jodie's got a lot of potential. We like the cast of the companions, but it lacks excitement. It lacks adventure. It lacks explosions. It lacks monsters. And it doesn't quite feel whoish enough. Mm-hmm. I feel like Chibnall has taken all of that comment, well-meant constructive criticism, and he has taken it on board in a really professional manner. He has fine-tuned the show. He has written the Doctor in a stronger and better manner. He has given us more excitement. He has given us more adventure. He's given us more monsters. He's made it feel more Doctor Who-like. He has written a more enjoyable series. And I think that is a, in the middle, solid mass of sensible fandom, I think that's a very universally held view that all those things are better, that the series has been better. And for Chibnall to do that, I think is a big deal. I think he deserves the kudos for it. I asked him to do it at the end of the last series. He's delivered. So I think it is appropriate to award him with my player of the series. Okay. He's doing it though, Dave, but still making some fundamental mistakes from the previous series. He's not perfect, but <laughs> I, I think it was big enough to, 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 to note and um, highlight. So look, I take it from that comment that he's not your pick. No, no snaps. <laughs> Who is? I found this really hard to answer because obviously a, a one-off performance would have to really stand out for that to, to be my pick and, and that's not going to happen, you know, or, you know, Seagun Akinola. I don't think we've even mentioned his music hardly at all during our, true, our takes. True. So it, it really starts to cut things down to be basically the TARDIS team or Chris Chibnall. Uh, I don't think even any one particular writer stood out to me perhaps the writer of Villa Diodati because that was her first script, but that would be a bit of a stretch. So I found this honestly, genuinely very hard to answer. Again, I gave Chris Chibnall a MVP during the the series, but I don't think he deserved it overall. I went, and this will seem so cliche, if you're on the edge (laughs) of your seat, uh, please sit back comfortably. Um, I'm giving it to Bradley Walsh. I just think across the series, Bradley was still the best actor, even though his role became more and more cliche as time went on. And I think from that first series where he was the breakout star, the writers were like, oh, we need a funny line, give it to Bradley. And, and as you were saying earlier, we need the, uh, the, uh, the solemn and somber moment, give it to Bradley, he'll do that well. So he's become almost cliche, and I'm kind of happy that he's going and not hanging around for a third series, because I think he, he's done. And I hope he has a really good exit at the end of the year. But for this series, I still think he was the best actor in it. And for that reason, you know, he is my almost default player of the series because I still don't think any of them really jumped up to be counted across the board. In certain episodes, yes. And in certain scenes, particularly some of the Jodie scenes, just amazing. 
Across the board, though, Bradley Walsh for me. Look, I totally understand why you've gone there. I agree that Bradley Walsh has consistently done extremely good things with the material he's given. And and frankly, he's done extremely good things with the even more limited material I think he's been given this year. So definitely worthy of praise. Uh, I'm going to give a one-sentence honourable mention, though, to Vinay Patel, who has now written probably my favourite episode of two seasons in a row. That's right. Yeah, Vinay, of course. So I, I didn't think it was a big enough contribution to this season to be player of the series, but no, um, you know, he, he could be player of the year so far. <laughs> Vinay for showrunner. Vin, Vinay, wow. That's a, that's a thought. That's a bandwagon I could maybe get on. <laughs> Very good. Dave, that wraps up Series 12. Can you believe we're here finally? I can't believe that it's only mid-March and we're here. That's just weird. Yeah. And we've got a year and a half until the next series. But but yeah, you know, I, I, I go from doing our first hot take where I've sat there and gone, wow, 10 more weeks of this. Like, like I love doing it, but the, the not the pressure, but just, you know, finding the time every every week, you know, we've got to watch the show, talk about the show, you've got to edit it. You know, you, you look down the barrel and you go, wow, it's going to be a long three months. But we're here and it's been fun. Yeah, I guess listeners don't always think about logistics, but I'm sitting there, you know, it's midday at, on a Monday and I'm watching the episode at lunchtime then thinking about going to the gym after work Then when will I hook up with Dave tonight to record the show? It's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a pressure at some times. Yeah, and look, quite often I've been taking my recording equipment into the office and waiting for everybody else to go home so I can just sit there rather than <laughs> battling traffic and not, you know, not getting home till, yeah. till late and doing it. I even took the recording equipment up to Canberra one time, so that's, <laughs> that's the effort we go to to make these things turn out. The glamour of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have got some other feedback, Rob. Do you want to kick us off? Yes, we do. We've got some wonderful emails here, so let's rip through them. First one from Shane Rofe. Now, this was from a few weeks back. He says, Ah, yes, as an unabashed cyber fan, I have enjoyed the teaser with the lone Cyberman and now Ascension. Please don't be like so many new Who cyber stories. Don't crash and burn in part two. Be like the Doctor Falls and end big. One episode to go, dare I call it, and say, Chris Chibnall, all is forgiven. Dun, dun, dun. We don't know what Shane thought after that. <laughs> he didn't write to us again. Shane, write to us again. Just tell us in a sentence, is all forgiven or did they burn in part two? Let us know. Mm, yes. David Clark, regular writer. Thank you again for writing in, David. He says, hiya, guys. Well, just finished watching episode 10 and I've got to say I loved it. Jody was brilliant as the Doctor. I know some people will hate what Chibbers has done, but I don't think it ruins it. Most new fans from 2005 won't have ever watched any classic docs, but in my mind, William Hartnell was the first Doctor and always will be, and she, he has no memories pre-Hartnell. Love the cliffhanger, and I can't wait for the special. One thought I have, though, is this series, they have parked on Earth at least three other TARDISes, I think I may go and find one. Keep up the good work on the Best Who podcast. Look, thank you for that, uh, David. Really appreciate it. I, I made a similar point. Whilst the stuff Chibbers did in this didn't land for me, I agree. For a new Who fan, I think it would have been really awesome and really wonderful, and we need to bear that in mind. And yes, the cliffhanger was very, very cool. We haven't mentioned it, Rob. Look, we haven't, and we haven't even... Well, of course we haven't mentioned it. We haven't even got to the point that it does look like she's on Sharda. It does look like it, doesn't it? Now, whether that's a coincidence, mm. like there's only so many ways you can 
to design a prison on an asteroid or, or whether it's deliberate, I don't know, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Yes. Moving on, John Shaw says, Hi, Robin Dave. Big thank you to Steve from New to Who for covering. I just started their podcast from episode one. Series 12. It was better than 11, but the ending was a hard sell to me. The Hartnell Doctor is still first. He was the Time Lord who left to explore the universe. He was the Doctor when it was all new. What do you think? I do suspect this Unlimited Doctors and how many there have been will be quietly forgotten, just like him being half-human on his mother's side. All the best, John Shaw. Thanks again for your email there, John. I don't know it would be forgotten. I suspect that Chibnall may have some sort of payoff. Uh, I think we are going to see the Master again. I think we are going to see Jack again. And I think we are going to see the Ruth Doctor again. I think they're, they're going to do something with it. I've, I've seen people, I, Dave, I've seen people say it could be the twist is that the Master was just playing with the Doctor and this didn't happen at all and then everyone's happy again. And I think that's a bit too simplistic. And with the Ruth Doctor floating around, I don't think they're going to go there. No, it would be bizarre for Chibnall to make that his big season revelation and then not do it. If it was a mid-season like cliffhanger type thing mm. that, that was then blown apart at the end as like the big dramatic reveal, I'd, I'd get that. But no, I don't think he'll do it this way. Yeah, you know, because you think, oh, maybe they could do that. Maybe there could be still a child under the Eye of Harmony being tortured and uh, he didn't tell the Doctor it was her for, for some reason. I don't know. Anyway, we'll move on. We will move on. A email once again from Peter Dedman. Hi, guys. Now a week removed from the finale of the latest season, I have had some time to reflect. Most of it has been, to my mind, a feeling of better but could do even better. In general, this season has been much better than the previous season. Only one of them, Orphan 55, was bad, and only a couple were average. Most were good, but I'm not sure any were great. Some episodes had great sequences, but none of them were true classics all the way through. Still, it's an improvement, and if they could get rid of some of the companions and the show rather than endlessly exposit, then it will be even better. Regarding the final two-part finale, I was struck by how little the everything you know is wrong made me care. It's a shame that the Ruth Doctor has been relegated to some random figure in the past, and that the TV Doctors just happened to be the time when we got 13 white males in a row. Other than that, it irritates me how the mystery of the Ireland scenes mattered so little. For instance, if that was the Doctor, how did they survive being shot and falling off a cliff without regenerating? I've seen the Doctor change bodies from both those things, not to mention that the Timeless Child was never actually explained at all as to how they came about or who they originally were. I guess it doesn't matter much, but whilst I'm happy the season was better, I'm not itching for more. Cheers, Peter. Mm. Nothing in that, Rob, that I could say was bizarre. I didn't agree with at least in part. Oh, I see where Peter's coming from across all of that. In fact, some of it I even spoke to earlier in the episode. Like, yeah, the island scenes, <laughs> for them to have been the major part of the first part of that finale and then a sort of a nothing moment in the in the second part, just just strange to me. Yeah, look, I, I agree. Um, look, I'm going to put my 10 shekel coin on the table and bet mm -hmm. that we are going to find out who the timeless child was next season. I think that's going to be the big thing for next season. Now we've established that she exists, it's now going to be, well, who was she? 
Okay, so the Doctor going back to find more about her real past, her real home planet, yes, etc. Yes, I think so. Okay, that's kind of cool. That's almost the uh, the plot of Picard, isn't it? I- I'm not up to date with Picard, so... Oh, okay, well, I'll say no <laughs> say more. Say no more, yeah. <laughs> Finally, Jonathan Harding says, Hi, I've been listening to your show for quite a while now, but this is the first time I've emailed in. Well, hello, Jonathan. How are you going? First, thanks for all the work you guys put in. I look forward to each episode. I find I'm generally in agreement with you, so possibly I very much enjoy the mini echo chamber the show provides. (laughs) I thought the latest series was so much better than Jodie's first. Less Chibnall scripting, question mark. That's interesting too. I guess he, he stuck his name on a few other writers' works, but he didn't write as many, I think, this time? I don't think so, no. Hmm. The quality of the cast has never been in doubt, but the stories were less flippant than the previous series. Doctor Who is a children's program, but that never meant it had to be silly. And he says, here's spiders in a hotel. (laughs) (laughs) Here's one one after your heart, Dave. Yeah. Uh, This series did have a couple of clunkers. Tesla was particularly disappointed. Oh, here's someone who doesn't like Tesla, Dave. Yes, okay. You know, I mean, I wasn't hot on it, but I thought it was okay. Um, anyway, but it has refreshed the show and the money is on the screen. My biggest gripe, however, is the audio. The backing music is clearly excellent, but is often too loud for the speech. And then when the Cybermen turned up, the voice modulation meant I couldn't make half of what they were saying and ended up trying to fill the gaps. Example, we shall go to the shops. We have nearly run out of Siberia. <laughs> I've never been a big fan of Nick Briggs' Cybermen voices, but I suspect the show owes him a favour for the multiple hundreds of audio stories he's added to expand the brand. Anyway, thanks again, and please keep doing what you're doing. Kind regards from Jonathan in England. Well, thanks again. Some good thoughts. Uh don't agree fully with all of them, but agree with most of it and certainly see where you're coming from, Jonathan. Yeah, and I popped Jonathan a quick email back saying we, we really love hearing from people, especially first-timers, because it just helps us get this bigger picture of who's out there listening to us and it's it's really good fun. Yeah, no, really appreciate that. Mm. So it's been a slightly longer episode than usual, but look, it is a review of an entire series of Doctor Who, so I think an extra 10 minutes is not unreasonable. Yeah. But after three months and, what, 13 podcasts now talking about new Doctor Who? Yes. Which is what we've put out in the last last couple of months. Done a lot. Uh, we are going to be talking classic Doctor Who in our April monthly episode. And we have decided we're going to do one of our deep dives into a season of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And we want to get you, the listener, involved Rob and I are each going to nominate a season, but we're going to ask you guys to vote on social media to pick which one we dive into. So remember, it's not about which one you think is the best, but which one you think will make for the most interesting discussion with Mm. Rob and I. So Rob, what season of Classic Who are you nominating? It was so hard to choose, Dave. I'd I'd land on some and think, oh, no, we won't do that for this reason or that reason. And I I tic-tacked around. I've landed... On season 16. Very cool. I am going to nominate season 25. Oh, that was one of the ones I thought about. Yeah, it kind (laughs) of falls between like controversial season 24 and classic season 26. And so I think there's a bit to say. I think there's a bit to say about 16 as well. I'm happy to talk about either of those. Uh, So listeners, by the time this launches, we'll put something on social media. Uh, We'll probably give you a week or so to vote because we need to have a decision early enough for us to 
watch the thing and <laughs> do our podcast. But yeah, we'd love to get your input as to whether we talk about season 16 or season 25 next month. Yeah, please look at our uh, Twitter or our Facebook to vote. And of course, if you have thoughts on uh, the, the season, once we've announced it, of course, let us know about that as well. Last series, I remember I had a bit of a slump, probably about six or seven eps in. I was like, oh my God, you know, this is really getting to me. But this one, I, I just breezed through. Maybe I was a bit more match fit this time around. I, I don't know. Maybe I was enjoying it more. I think I was enjoying it more. Yeah. I, I know that definitely I was enjoying it more. I was anticipating it more. I was enjoying the conversations with other fans more. And that's a really great thing. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, keep your thoughts coming as we now move into monthly episodes. But of course, with the odd special here and there, I know you've got a podcast of decision probably coming up soon, Dave. Yeah, sometime, hopefully very soon, we'll be... Uh letting that one loose on the world and there's a couple other things coming up as well i did see one of our listeners suggested a uh, alternate galaxies episode that we might do sometime rob yeah let's keep that one under our hats till we record it <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> but i guess yeah now now that we're not doing our hot takes we can maps look at doing a few other specials but i think we've spoken for enough it's been very positive it's been very in-depth i've had a lot of fun and i've been dave <laughs> Very good. And I've been Rob. And we'll speak again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash The DW Show is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.